wird es frei. If you would open our hearts to receive your word today, Father, and that we may see how it applies to us for our life in our day, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work and that we may bear witness to your name in the places where we are throughout the week. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen. Christian life and work. The issue that we shall be reflecting on for the next uh, several weeks over in our series in our sermon series uh, for the coming while and uh, uh, perhaps too often we don't put Christian life and work together Christian life yes that's what we do we come to church on a Sunday and perhaps if we're in one we go to the the fellowship group and if we're we're uh, inclined and diligent we say our prayers in the morning and maybe in the evening uh, and, uh, and so on, we, we read the Bible for encouragement. And then we put our Christian life away and we go to work. Because that's where we are, well, if we're employed, we spend 80% of our time in the workplace. 80% at least of our waking time. I don't know, maybe it's some of the sleeping time as well, who knows. Where we do the things we spend most time doing. Uh, but if you're not employed, then you're likely to spend more time in your workplace, not less if you are not in, in employed. The home technician, be it the man or the woman, the house husband or the housewife, spends all day in their workplace. And especially the mothers who have children, little children under the age of five, spend more time at work than any of us without children. And if you're of senior years, we can be at work visiting, volunteering, helping, going about caring for one another. We don't often think of it as work, but it is work and it blesses our communities. It's vital for their well-being. So we can consider all of us as having a workplace, even if we are not employed. The questions we shall be asking through this series of sermons, who are we working for? Is it ourselves or the customer? Is it uh, our boss? Is the customer our boss? Is it somebody else? What does the Bible say about work? Why, why do we have to work anyway? Is it really part of God's plan for his people? How do we find meaning in the workplace? Why is it important as a thing of itself? How do we deal with the boss? Mine's just leaving. <laughs> How do we cope with the pressure? Uh, how do we make it a vocation or a ministry? Uh, how do we grow spiritually in the workplace as much as in the church? These are the questions we'll reflect on because the truth is that Christian life and work are not separate places and not separate activities. The, the workplace is the faith place. It's where we live out our Christian faith 
day by day. And so we ask today, who do we work for? And we're going to turn to those verses in Colossians 3, 22 through to 24, uh, to reflect on it. We're going to look at it in, with three C's. Uh, we're going to choose, we're going to uh, commit, and we're going to claim. We're going to choose Christ as the boss, commit ourselves to the workplace as a place of fulfillment, and uh, what was the third one? Claim the workplace as our place of ministry. Thank you. So in verse 23, Paul says, Choose Christ. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men or women. Work at it as for the Lord, he says. And right through the Bible, people were called and invariably they were workers. The first man, Adam, he was a gardener. And then uh, Joseph was Egypt's chancellor of the exchequer. Moses was a shepherd for many years. David was a shepherd before he became a king. Amos was a sheep trader. Uh, in the New Testament, Simon Peter was a commercial fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector, and both of them were called in the workplace. Matthew from his fisher boat and, uh, and uh, sorry, Matthew from his tax booth and Simon from his fisher boat. St. Paul made a living as a tent maker, and he lived for a time in the house of Simon the Tanner when he was converted. Lydia, she sold cloth and other fancy things in the haute couture houses of the day. And all of them were working out the challenges of faith in their workplace. Now, in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8, there's a man called Nimrod. He's named as a, as a son of Cush. Remember him? It comes in a long list of names, and all of a sudden, the scribe wakes up and he writes something interesting. He says, oh, there was Cush. Oh, and then there was Nimrod, the son of Cush. And he was a hunter. And then after Nimrod, there came. <laughs> anyway, he was a hunter, a mighty hunter before the Lord. A mighty hunter before the Lord, he's described as. Not just a mighty hunter. Not just a mighty hunter in the eyes of men. But a mighty hunter before the Lord. And perhaps he recognised God's provision for him in uh, in the animals that he killed. Perhaps he deeply respected those animals as creatures of God's creation. Uh, perhaps he knew that God was his teacher in his chosen profession. Perhaps he acknowledged that God made him skilled and enabled him to hunt well. Whatever it was, he saw that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Maybe you wouldn't think of yourself as, as working before the Lord. Maybe you don't think that hunting could be done before the Lord. That everything can be done before the Lord. That's what this time tomorrow is teaching us. It's helping us to think that way, that Mark is a mighty motor mechanic before the Lord. And that Alison 
is a mighty lawyer in front of the magistrate before the Lord. Giles, the mighty teacher of girls before the Lord. What do you do? Leanne is a mighty intern before the Lord. Malcolm is a mighty switch maker before the Lord. The man at the back, Luke. <laughs> Luke is a mighty uh, building, designy, planny person before the Lord. But Melvin, he's a mighty hospital visitor before the Lord. Yvonne is a mighty carer for her husband before the Lord. You see, the thing we need to remember is that that Paul wasn't writing to the the people with highfalutin jobs. He was speaking to the slaves of the time. You might call them the domestics, the house servants of the day, the people who were employed by the gentry of the town. And his point was that the kingdom of God is not in the type of work. It's in the way you work, how we work. What are our priorities, our purposes, our practice to say to to our colleagues that the kingdom of God is here, the workplace and our values and concerns revealing what God wants. And some of the coffee shop volunteers in our own coffee shop are showing us this. They speak of loving the work and, and, and how it's given them a sense of purpose and worth. They don't get paid but they give themselves to serving others in this place. And some of them since have found their way into this room to worship with us week by week. Because you see, when Christ Jesus is the boss, then there's a new dimension to the work. They become mighty tea makers for the Lord, before the Lord. So whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As for the Lord, be a mighty worker in your workplace before the Lord. Choose Christ as the one you work for. And then things begin to flow from that. We can commit to the work then as a source of fulfillment. He says in verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes are on you, and to curry their favour, but with sincerity and reverence for the Lord. Because when you make Christ your boss, the work becomes all important. It's not what the boss thinks of you that matters, but that you're doing a good job for the job's sake. What What we've heard from this time tomorrow, as we've reflected on their their uh, testimony is how they want to do a good job for the job's sake Jar said it's fantastic work 
bear witness to Christ by being a good worker. I was, I was an industrial chaplain at one point, and I had a colleague who once asked a factory worker, what is the hardest thing about your work? And the worker said, getting here. <laughs> by which he meant not that the traffic was difficult or that it was a difficult journey, but that finding the motivation and not resenting the fact that he had to be there was the hardest thing. And there's much, isn't there, that can rob us of our fulfilment in the workplace. We may resent having to work at all. Luke's going to speak more on that next week. We may resent uh, what we're asked to do by the boss. The tedious work, the dirty work, the simple work. We may resent the boss for giving it to us or our work colleagues for being better than us, for getting the better tasks or for not pulling their weight. There are many things that can cause us to resent the workplace. When I was young, I, uh, I resented, because I was the young one, being sent up the tower by the leading fireman to unhook the equipment. I resented the leading fireman for sending me up the tower to do it. And one day, that resentment spilled out and I refused to go. And I was then put on a fizzer, hauled before the station officer on account of my refusal to obey a legitimate order. And I had to give an account of myself to the big boss. And whatever the rights and wrongs of the case, I was paying the price. The resentment had got the better of me. And now I'm older, I find that I resent having to put the date and the week of the year on top of the order of service as I begin to prepare and plan for the worship of God's people. It feels like I'm a prisoner counting my life off week by week. And then I remember that this is the day the Lord has made and we will that I'm preparing to worship with God's people. What a privilege that is that he's put me here to share with you. It's a gift. Do it with sincerity of heart. Because sincerity of heart is about fulfillment. It's about being complete in what you do. If we're resenting the work, the work becomes a shallow thing, half-hearted, without meaning. But we can choose to put that resentment aside. The apathy, put it away. We can choose to do it with reverence for Jesus, as if it were an act of worship for him. Commit to the work as a source of fulfilment. Thirdly, claim the work as a place of mission. The place we're called to be, to work vocationally, to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Because the workplace is where Christians and those who aren't yet Christians are thrown together. 
Giles had a picture of a mighty man of God. I'm not sure if you were referring to yourself as a mighty man of God, the one next to you. And then there was one who wasn't yet a Christian on the far end, yeah. Because they're thrown together. They can't get away from each other. The workplace is, is where someone who is a Christian sees the spe- who is not a Christian sees the spectacle of a Christian at work. Living by the power of the Spirit. Day by day, hour by hour, crisis by crisis. The workplace is the one place where Christians are forced to serve people in Christian love who don't yet know Christ. So if the church wants to influence the world, people beyond the fringe of the church, then the workplace is where they're going to find those people. And when Christians do that and engage with those issues, they're rewarded from heaven. Verse 24 says, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When you bless someone in the workplace because because of Christ, that blessing is carried into eternity and is your reward in heaven. When you serve in the Lord, the fruit of it becomes your inheritance forever. Grace from God comes to you as you minister to others in the grace of God. And the workplace can be a tough place. We know that. A difficult place, a place of uh, compromises and contradictions, a place where we find ourselves ethically challenged, a place where doing the right thing can be very costly, a place where all that anxiety and stress and all the other words that Giles put up as the environment in which he works, are very real and very tangible. And we shouldn't be surprised that the workplace is like that. Because most people don't make Jesus their boss in the workplace. So if we want to stop the rot, then we have to go where the rot is. And the way to stop the rot is to bring blessing into those places. And we shall be unpacking how we bless the workplace in weeks to come. The point is that we know people, we are not people who go to church, we know that. We are people who are the church who go to the world. And when we're scattered throughout the week in our workplaces, that's when we have the most influence. It's then when we make the difference. The workplace is where we find our vocation to address the rottenness of the world. So when we go to work tomorrow or on Tuesday, we're God's agent for blessing the people we work with. Any blessing of them is a reward in heaven for you. So who do we work for? We work for the Lord. I've gone too far. 
We can choose to make Christ our boss. We commit ourselves to the workplace as a place of fulfillment. And we claim the workplace as our place of mission. It's where we find our vocation to live for Christ every day. Luke, next week, will be giving us something of a theology of work and how it is for the blessing of all his people. Let's worship.